Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 262 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, I am very excited about today's episode because we live in a fun age. I've been in leadership for a couple of decades now, and that means I'm old enough to remember when we really didn't have at our fingertips the kinds of things, even even like podcasting or social media or the internet, uh, I mean, I had the internet back in the 90s before some of you were alive, but I promise you it was a shadow of what it is today. Barely like, you know, this tiny little thing that has become so big. And the question is, how do we use it? So today I've got Facebook's Nona Jones on the show. Uh, she is an author. She's a public speaker. She works with Facebook. She's also a church planter along with her husband. And so I think you're going to love this episode. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about how to leverage social media and in particular community online. Like, is that actually actually community or not? And so whether this is in your church or in your business, I think you're going to find it uh, particularly helpful. At least I did. Hey, speaking of church, I've got something coming down the pipe uh, this month that you might be really excited about. And uh, it's brand new. If you head on over to Church Growth Masterclass, that's churchgrowthmasterclass.com, I've got right now for a limited time a free church growth assessment. Uh, this will help you discover what's stopping your church from growing. It's absolutely free. So head on over to Church Growth Masterclass and stay tuned because there's some really fun stuff happening. Hey, you know, one of my favorite things about this podcast is, uh, well, first of all, serving you. I, I just love doing that. I love hearing from you. I love getting the stories. I mean, handwritten notes, thank you cards, emails, um, social media feedback. Just thank you. Thank you. You guys are the best. But the other thing that really makes me excited is when some of the guests and some of the partners that we have flourish. A lot of you have gotten behind organizations like Trained Up or Pro Media Fire. And these were when they started um, partnering with us, just small companies that honestly, through your support and your partnership by getting behind them, have really started to flourish. And I want to give you an update on what's happening with Trained Up. So Trained Up continues to grow. And thank you for that. They've got all kinds of new stuff. And they're now partnered or parented by Serve HQ. And what is Trained Up? Well, it's about equipping your volunteers and leaders with simple online video courses, a growing library. I mean, they're growing huge for top quality training videos, plus some really simple features to customize your training or create training for your own ministry. So here's some of the new features on Trained Up. They're growing. They've got an expanded library with more than a dozen new courses for kids in youth ministry, greeters, guest services, and security teams. They've doubled their team size to serve churches with even better and more developers and customer support team members. Uh, they've released an open API, which allows you to connect your trained up account with your church database software. And we've already, they've already seen people building integrations to Rock RMS and other church database software tools. They have released a dedicated direct connection to Planning Center Online to quickly and easily bring your volunteers into training courses. 
And get this, they've lowered their prices and expanded user limits to give more churches of different sizes more opportunity to take advantage of online training, plus a lot of other features too. So, so here's what you can do. You can try Trained Up for free for 14 days now at their website. Just head on over to servehq.church and start your 14-day free trial. And also ProMediafire, man, this is an organization that I am using, that so many of you are using. And today on the podcast, we're going to be hearing from Nona Jones, who's an expert in building church community on Facebook. Social media is a fantastic place to reach people digitally. But here's a question. What stops you during your Facebook or Instagram scroll? Uh, Is it good content? that makes you take notice? Is it trying to reach people that you need to start with professional eye-catching content and then work toward a personal connection? See, this is where ProMedia Fire can help you create, get this custom content for your church. And I think this is particularly valuable for smaller churches. Large churches use it, but smaller ones do too, because you're like, if I only had the staff for way less than you can hire staff, you can get ProMedia Fire. So they make custom hotspot videos from your sermons. They add fire for your social media content. And if you need some fire for your content, check out Pro Media Fire. You also get 10% off plans for life just because you listen to this podcast. If you go to promediafire.com slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. That's promediafire.com slash carry. So without further ado, why don't we jump into my conversation with Nona Jones. Well, Nona, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Hey, uh, tell us about the vision you have for church leaders and, and just for leaders in general. We have business leaders and church leaders listening when it comes to Facebook. And then I'd love to drill in a little bit to uh, the vision of Facebook as a whole. Sure. Well, let me first provide a little context. So um, I've actually never worked in technology or social media uh, before I received a call quite literally out of the blue uh, from Facebook to lead faith-based partnerships for the company. They recruited you. Yeah. So just a really quick snippet of that. Um, I was in a job I loved uh, for four Uh years. I was at the chief executive level of a statewide network of alternative schools, thought I'd be there for the rest of my life. And uh, God literally spoke to me one day and told me this assignment is over and gave Whoa. me a couple of months to resign. And he told me to resign at the end of the fiscal year, which was June okay, 30th, I, 2017. I, I got to stop you. I got to stop you. Because <laughs> whenever people say God told me to, uh, you know, you can understand that there there is suspicion around that. Now, I've yeah. had a handful of those experiences in my life too, but they're very rare. Yeah. What was that like? Uh, it was very specific and very clear. Um, so did I, you hear a voice? Uh, it wasn't even a voice. It was like, I, yeah. I, I, let me put it this way. I heard it in my spirit. And what I heard was this assignment is over. And the reason I know it mm. wasn't me is because I had planned to stay in that job literally for the rest of my life. I loved right. what I was doing. Right. Uh, but I, I prayed some more and God told me to resign at the end of the fiscal year, gave me a very specific time, June 30th, wow. 2017. And so uh, that day I met with my boss. I met with her at one o'clock. I gave her my letter of resignation and I'll never forget. She said, so what are you going to do next? And all I could say to her was, you know, I'll tell you soon, but I, I wasn't sure. And I left that meeting at 1.40, got in my car, was driving home. At 2.05, 25 minutes later, I got a call on my cell phone from an unfamiliar area code. I never answer those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I just Did you felt- win a cruise? No, I thought that I just figured it was a telemarketer. <laughs> I really did. I saw, I was like, what is this 650? And so uh picked up the phone because I felt in my spirit, take this call. 
And uh, the woman on the other end, she said, hi, is this Nona Jones? And I said, yes. And she said, uh, hey, I'm calling from Facebook. And I said, uh, that's funny because Facebook doesn't call people. I was like, who hmm. is this? And uh, she said, no, really, I'm calling from Facebook. And uh, she proceeded to tell me how apparently the week before, Mark changed the mission of the company to focus on community building and that wow. one of the communities that the company wanted to focus on was communities of faith and that my name was given as someone that they should talk to about leading this work. And so 25 minutes after I resigned from my job in faith, uh, I got a call from Facebook out of the blue for a job I didn't apply for. I lived in Florida, got the call from California. <laughs> um, and uh, that's why I said, I tell people, I'm like, you know, I've learned that God meets our faith at our level of obedience because I had no reason to just resign from a job I loved, yeah. except that that's what I felt God told me to do. So I, I like to start there because I think it's important to have that context when I'm answering the question, what do I see for uh, you know churches when it comes to Facebook? Because I believe that I've actually been assigned to Facebook for the purpose of ministry. So um, when I look at the digital space in general, um, I really see it as like the next reformation of, of ministry. I see mm -hmm. it as being the next um, vehicle that God wants to use in order to fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, there's about 8 billion people in the world, and a quarter of those people are on Facebook. And many of them uh, don't know who Jesus is. They've never been to a church. And statistically, two out of three churches are actually declining or plateauing in attendance. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there is a need for uh, digital faith communities. And so what I really am working to do is to equip leaders to take advantage of this tool so that they can actually do ministry in a digital context. That's fascinating. So I'm, I'm curious, and maybe you don't know the answer to this question. Any idea why they called you? Because we, before we started recording, you said, yeah, I wasn't really huge on social. And <laughs> uh, like, like, you know, I've, I know he's a mutual friend, but why, why did they not call Bobby Grunwald at Life Church? So, so amazingly, um, I had done a leadership program with one of the Facebook executives. Uh, it's called the Presidential Leadership Scholars Program. Uh, it's a joint initiative of President Bush and President Clinton. And uh, mm. this was in my former life. And uh, when I when I said when I met him, I said, "Hey, you know, I'd love to one day launch the Facebook Community Foundation." Met him. Who's and, that? Is that Mark? Uh, it's an executive. No, 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 it's one of the executives okay. there. Uh, and I said, uh, I'd love to lead the Facebook Community Foundation one day, but uh, it has to be based in Gainesville, Florida, because I can't move because my husband and I have a church in Gainesville. And so he laughed and he was like, oh, yeah, that's really cute. Uh, <laughs> we would never do that. So right. apparently when Mark started to have these ruminations about uh, community and the role that faith and Facebook could play together, uh, he basically gave my name uh, as this is the person I think you should talk to. Now, what's funny is he told me after the fact that he literally said, I don't think we can get her to leave her job because I know she loves her job. Uh, but I think I think we should talk to her. And he had no idea that the day they called me, I had just resigned. So he had no idea. That is <laughs> that is quite the God story. It really yeah. is. And uh, <laughs> having had a handful of those very specific moments in my life, I, I, I get it. So yeah. So Facebook calls you and can you say a little bit more about Mark's vision for Facebook? And I mean, mm -hmm. we're going to talk about moving fast and breaking things and where Facebook is going and 
who knows the day we're recording this Facebook is down. So <laughs> it could be the apocalypse. Like nobody really oh, knows boy. what's going on. You know, it's, it's so funny how life uh, imitates art sometimes, but uh, uh-huh. so uh, to, to kind of build on what I was saying about the, the mission being changed. So, you know, we just celebrated our 15th birthday and for the first uh, 10 or 12 years of our existence, our mission was to make the world more open and connected. It was all mm. about connecting friends with friends and friends yeah. with family and families with family. And then I think when we crossed that 2 billion user threshold uh, back in uh, February of 2017, I think Mark really had a moment of introspection because it was like, wait a minute, we've got a quarter of the Earth's population on a platform <laughs> that I built out of my dorm room just to connect people on my college campus. So what what is the next iteration of this need to be? And he began to study uh, just society and social constructs and community. And I think he found out that, you know, the fabric of community was really deteriorating. I mean, people aren't members of organizations like they used to be. I already Mm -hmm. said earlier, people aren't attending church like they used to. And yet we've got literally a quarter of the Earth's population on our platform, 70, 75%, three out of four people in America are on Facebook. So wow. I think he he really took that as a mandate to say, what does the next iteration of our existence need to really be anchored to? And that's the community, um, is making sure that when people are using our platform, it's not, it's not just about passively consuming content. It's about connecting to places and spaces that give you hope, give you support, um, and actually make you feel like you belong. Because that is, uh, in, in our view, that is really the, the value that we can provide. Hmm. And what about your vision for uh, connecting faith communities, building faith communities, really? Great question. So uh, the vision I have is really to see every local church uh, equipped to make disciples in digital communities. I'd love to see every local church have an online church that's powered uh, by Facebook, in particular Facebook groups. And that's a product uh, that's really underutilized in communities of faith. And so I spend a lot of my time, as I'm fortunate to speak at a lot of conferences, I spend a lot of my time really trying to raise awareness, not only about groups as a product, but also how do you optimize groups as a tool for ministry? And that's a very different lens. I think right now, the paradigm of church is really what happens within four walls at an address on a day at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I believe that if you look at the life of Jesus, that wasn't his model. Like he didn't tell people, hey guys, uh, come see me at the temple for my latest sermon series. Like he was out (laughs) among the people, right? Like he was out among the people. Whenever he found someone who was in need of encouragement, he encouraged them. Whenever he found someone who was in need of exhortation, he exhorted, like he did it among the people. And so Facebook really allows us to return to what I consider to be, uh, return back to a a Christ-like model of ministry, which is meet people where they are um, and deliver the good news of Jesus where they are. Hmm. So what would one, or I'm sure there's not just one size fits all, but like walk us through what a community like that would look like or feel like, or how would you experience it? Sure. So, uh, So if you think about your Facebook presence like a house, okay? Uh, yeah. Think about the page like it's your front porch, 
It's the place where people can come. They can see what you're about on a surface level. There's really no commitment. Uh, they can just passively learn about you. Uh, most uh, faith-based organizations, most most churches use pages in that way to like share information about the ministry. But what groups mm. allows you to do is it allows you to create what I call a living room in the house. It's the place that you can invite people inside of your ministry. You can get to know them. They can get to know you. And most importantly, they can get to know each other. And I think the right. power of ministry is not what happens when you come and sit in the audience and hear somebody teach. It's what happens when you connect with other people who are in the same life season as you are, uh, and you discover that you're not alone and you're able mm. to mature in your faith relationally. And and what I just described is what we call discipleship, right? It's the relational yeah, yeah. maturation of your faith. And so uh, the way that I typically will kind of guide churches that want to get into digital discipleship is leverage your group as a place for conversation and leverage your group as a place for structured teaching, leverage your group as a place to actually give people the power to get together in real life. So there are tools like literally get-togethers. There's a tool in, in groups called get-togethers where you can organize offline events. There's also a tool called social learning units where you can create learning modules that people take sequentially as if it's a class. Like a small group guide or a class. Absolutely. Yeah, course yeah absolutely. Kind of yeah. And something that my husband and I do, I think I may have mentioned earlier, my husband's a pastor. Something that we'll do periodically is we'll go live in our church group and we call it our church campus because our online campus, because that's what it is. We'll go live and we'll talk about, you know, the message that either he or I taught that Sunday and just go deeper you know, spend like 30 minutes, not a long time, answering questions, sharing more insights. So really what groups allows you to do is there's 168 hours in the week and we may spend one of them in a building, yeah. but it allows you to really build on the other 167. So obviously this is new to me. I'm not part of, uh, you know, one of those groups. So when you say that, is it like, so let's say you have a church of a thousand people, just mm -hmm. to pick a, a larger one and an even number. Does that mean there's one group for the whole church? Does that mean that you have 20 groups of 50? Does it mean that you have 10 groups of 100 or 100 groups of 10? Or how, <laughs> how does that work? Or can you subdivide? What does I'm, the organizational yeah. guy in me is like, okay, how does this right. actually work? Like what's the infrastructure? Or how like? is it so, not just that text chain you can't ever get out of? You know, oh, those text Lord, chains that's I like, do. oh, how yeah. do I hit do not disturb on this I thing? Actually, I actually, I had to tell my nephew one time, I was like, I love you. Please don't ever include me in a text chain anymore. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so. Hey, what, that what is I, love, Nona. That is love, man. It's truth. It's truth. So uh, what I normally recommend recommend and uh, just to give you an example so I work with I work with your like you know your life churches of the world your elevations yeah. of the world uh, sure. and so these are you know very large multi-site type of uh, type of churches and so what I always recommend is you want to have like a, a main church group. So you would have like your main group but then from right. there you can also have campus groups. So you can have mm. groups for your satellite locations and you can link them together. Um, what I have found is that many organizations tend to use a page like it's a group. So like, for example, uh, let's take uh, Elevation. Like they, when I first started working with them, they had, I think like, 20 pages and like there were pages for like the parents ministry pages for right. like youth and young adults. And I was like, no, 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 no. 
Just have the main page for your location and then use groups uh, as kind of like those uh, subdivided areas where people can connect based on their demographics. So they would have like, you know, their Valentine location page and then they would have like Elevation Kids, Elevation Parents, Elevation Singles as groups linked to each other and to the page. So that's what I would recommend is um, it's not as much about dividing it by number. It's more about dividing it by interest because what you see in groups are conversations, which you don't see that on a page. Like on a page, your page is pretty much your very broadcast uh, oriented uh, tool because you're just sharing information out. Your group is really going to be for bi-directional communication where people are actually initiating conversations as opposed to just the page. How do you or do you make sure that the conversations you're in are germane or relevant to you? Like how does, how does I know you can turn notifications off, but how does your phone not buzz or, uh, you know, your inbox not fill up with stuff you don't want to read or does it? Such a great question. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll so answer you that. You can tell a- I spend a lot of my life filtering messages, which is <laughs> basically what I do. I'm sorry. He's like, it's just take the me way off the text chain, turn off uh-huh. my notifications, yeah. basically do not find this is, me. This so- is not supposed to be therapy. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it's all good. So um, I'll, I'll talk about, I'll answer your question in the context of our algorithm change. So yeah, yeah. Um, about a year ago, we changed our algorithm and uh, there were a lot of people who were Which I need upset. to talk to you about before we're done today, because okay. that really hit churches, but keep yes. going. Well, well, yeah. here's, so here's the explanation of why we did that. So there were a lot of people who were complaining that they were seeing a lot of page content in their newsfeed and they felt like that content wasn't really germane to them. It wasn't relevant to them. And so, uh, the algorithm right now is anchored on something that we call meaningful social interactions, which basically means that you should see the content that you act, uh, interact with the most. So whether it's, you know, uh, from your family, from your friends, and the way that the algorithm works is there are certain types of content that receives a certain degree of distribution, which is essentially the probability that you will see it in your newsfeed. So the people whose posts you comment on the most, you will see. Now, what's interesting is in the algorithm, page content was downranked while at the same time, group content was upranked. The reason for that is we believe that if you opt into a group, it's because you want to be a part of that community. Right. So you're you're most likely not going to be a part of a group that you just really don't want to be a part of. Whereas you might like a page of a brand that you really don't care about. You just kind of like the brand, but you don't want to see their posts all the time. So that's kind of how the algorithm works. Uh, and the more you interact with the group, the more you interact with the content, the more you'll see it. Conversely, the less you interact with the group and the less you interact with the content, the less you'll see it. Oh, okay, great. So yeah, if you're on a pretty active thread, uh, you will you will not miss anything. On the other Correct. hand, if you, if you jump in every <laughs> February, uh, it's right. probably not going to show up very often. Exactly. Got it. Okay, <laughs> what are people using these communities for? Well, uh, many different use cases. So the first of which is a lot of churches and and even brands and public figures, uh, they have a very large audience on Facebook, right? So they may go live. They may have these great live streams where, you know, thousands of people tune in, but then the live stream ends and it's like, all right, now what? Uh, One of the features I was really, really blessed uh, to work with our product team to build last half was uh, a join group uh, button on Facebook Live, which basically means that when you're going live, 
you can actually create a community that will allow you to continue the conversation after the live stream ends. So people can join the community. So let's just imagine, you know, we're having this conversation today. Like, let's just say it's live streamed through your page. Uh, Well, you can have a community, you can have a group that's linked to your page that people can join. And afterwards, they can go in the group and talk about, hey, uh, Nona said this particular thing. Does anybody have any more insight on that? Or I was really blessed by when Carrie said this. Or So it, uh, it allows the conversation to continue after the fact. And we've seen that as a great use case for churches, uh, where you'll have this incredible message that's that's preached or this wonderful worship, but then the live stream ends and it's like, all right, that's it. Um, and so we're really trying to build the types of tools uh, within groups that allows ministries to do ministry after the stream ends. I will also say we've seen a lot of success with ministries that are piloting groups as a method of not opening a physical location yet, but just building a, a community in a community. So let's just say you're like, you know, I wonder, I'm seeing within our group, in our analytics, that we have a pretty large population of people in San Francisco who are in our group. Well, I'll create a group for San Francisco. And if we get up to 500 members, we may consider opening a physical location there because now we have a built-in church. So that's one of the amazing use cases that we're seeing happen. Oh, that's pretty cool. So is it just at this point, big churches that can play in this space, or is it open to, you know, a congregation of 50 or 100? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm seeing all across the board, uh, churches of all sizes that are really experiencing the power of groups. Because again, even if you have a 50 member church, you're probably only seeing each other like, you know, for a couple hours on the weekend, but there's 160 something hours left during the week. Uh, And so any church of any size can, can use groups as a way to do ministry. Um, just, and I know this will change probably by the time this airs and it'll change again six months later, but this is fairly early adoption. It's fairly new technology. Who, uh, in your view, could you point to and say, if you want to see this modeled, pay attention to Church X or Church Y, and we'll link to it in the show notes. So are, cool. are you able to do that? Or Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I, I will tell you, there are, there are several churches that I've been really fortunate to work with that are doing great. Uh, churches, like I mentioned earlier, Life Church, uh, their uh, Life Church online group is doing wonderfully. Uh, Elevation, they have a group called the Official uh, Elevation EFAM. Uh, that group is going really well. There's also a church uh, in Baltimore, Maryland um, called the First Baptist Church of Glenarden. Um, and they have a group that's really taken off. Um, as an example, mm. I think they launched their group uh, one week and they had like, I don't know, two or 3,000 members like in, in a week. Uh, people wow. just were so excited about it. Uh, also, uh, Relentless Church um, in Greenville, South Carolina, they're doing an amazing job. They've got around 8,000 or something members uh, in their community. So those are just, just four off the top of my head. Okay, yeah, no, that's good. We'll link yeah. to all of that. Are those public links? Like, can we link to the actual group? Yeah. So, and and let me uh, provide a clarification. So yes, those links are public, but the groups are closed. There are three different privacy settings for groups. And this Ah, is another differentiator between a page and a group. So a page is public by design. Like it just is public. A group can have one of three privacy settings. It can either be a public group, which means that you still have to join the group, but you can Mm -hmm. see the content, whether you're a member or not, which is basically like a page. Then you have a closed group where you have to join the group in order to see the content. The third privacy setting is a secret group. And these are groups that you can't even find in search. Uh, What I've always recommended to ministries is use a closed group 
because you want people to feel safe to be vulnerable in your community. Uh, We've seen churches that have dealt with suicide issues or issues of addiction in their communities, and people feel safe sharing because they know it's not going to get out. A secret group is also a really great asset that a church can use. Like, let's say you have an addiction recovery ministry. Um, Well, you can have a secret group that you invite those people to, and only they know that they're in that group. Nothing can be shared out of the group, but it's a way for them to stay connected uh, during the week. Well, and I've I've done secret groups before too, but it's just a way of not being discovered on the internet. It's not yeah. like it's clandestine or inappropriate True. or anything right, like that. Right. Okay, just in case people have never been part of that. It's like it's not <laughs> as, as bad as it sounds. With a closed group then, you would have to have an administrator approve people. Is that it? Correct. Yeah. Now it's funny because the privacy settings or the the approval settings on groups are such that you can actually have it to where anybody can approve a member. And that means any member can approve anybody. Uh, I normally don't recommend that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I would recommend that it be set to administrators approve uh, member (laughs) requests. Okay. So I'm just going to ask this question again, and then I promise not to ask it Sure. in the future. But I'm just thinking, how does a group of 8,000 members, to pull the number you just gave us, not become overwhelming to average user sitting in on their back porch saying, I want to be part of this, but I'm lost. Like, how does that, how does that actually add meaning to their life? I'm just trying to get my head around that. Sure. So uh, it, it again gets into the content that people are interacting with because mm. what you find in groups is much higher engagement than you do on a page because people will see right. page content and they'll just scroll past it. But in a group, like if there's a post that says, hey, how can we pray for you today? You're probably going to respond to that because chances mm. are you have a, a reason to request prayer. Um, or if there is a post that's really celebrating uh, a, a miracle in somebody's life, you may chime in on that, but you're only going to see the post that you respond to. So that's basically right. how how it works. Yeah. So it's sort of self-filtering. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Okay. So there has been a debate for years that would say that online community is not real community. How, how, like, and I think we're all trying to navigate the space. We have this conversation regularly on this podcast about, you know, the digital and the analog, the, the virtual and the real. What's your take on that? Is online community real community? Well, the, I think the simple answer for me is if a community is filled with real people, then it's real. Uh, whether it's online or offline. Um, I look at it like, you know, I think about our church and how we have people in crisis all the time who, you know, they'll make a phone call to one of our deacons or maybe they'll text me or my husband. And uh, it's, that's, that's real. You know, it may not be them walking up to my front door and saying, hey, can we talk about this? But it's people that are reaching out and saying, I need help. I need support. And so what you find online is you find authentic community. You find people who in many cases otherwise wouldn't have anyone to turn to. Uh, I give you an example. There was a a guy who made a post in one of the, the churches I work with. He made a post and he said, hey, I need you to pray for my friend Amber. She's thinking about taking her life. Now, In most instances, let's say he was in a church and somebody said, hey, does anybody have prayer requests? He would have written that down on a card and like turned it in and hopefully it would have been prayed over. Hmm. In that instant, he had 350 people immediately comment, we're praying for you. 
praying for Amber. There were people who were specifically praying in their comments. So it's like you see, you see right before your eyes, the power of social technology to actually immediately meet needs um, that sometimes don't get met in, in real life. Hmm. Uh, do you think there are evangelism potentials to community groups? Like, is this a place for outsiders to take their first step in? Oh, absolutely. So like one of the things that I I love about groups and, and the way that I've been kind of framing this is I see groups almost as like the first step to connection because there are people who they're not going to come to your church. Like they're, they don't know mm. you. They, they just, they're just not going to come to your building. But what if they got connected with your church online community and they found people who were like-minded, who were supportive, who were encouraging? Well, eventually what they're going to say is, you know, I, I want to check out this church. Um, there was one uh, church that I worked with in Jacksonville, Florida, where they launched a, a Facebook group. They launched their online church through the group. And uh, I remember seeing a post from a lady who was like, hey, you know, I've really enjoyed connecting with people here over these last couple of weeks. Uh, Is anybody available to give me a ride to, to church on Sunday? I would love to come check it out immediately like 15 people were like, where do you live? (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, I definitely see it as a a first step. And that's why I said, when you asked earlier, like, what is the vision that I have? It's really about changing the paradigm of what is church. Church has, has come to be defined as a building, when in reality, the church was never a place. It's always been a people it's always been a body of of people who believed in in Jesus and the good news. And so that is something that you can experience whether you show up at a building or you show up in a group. Interesting, because if you look at the traditional, well, traditional last 15 years paradigm, <laughs> yeah. groups is sort of the ultimate destination. You come into the church, you gather for Sunday, maybe you volunteer. And then if you're really serious you join a group, but you're saying just the opposite. That group Mm -hmm. could be the first step in. That's it. Yeah. It's step one. It's step one. And the the beauty of it is it's not just a step, it's a community. So it's like you're connecting with a community of people, many of which may not be in your physical location, but you realize that you're part of something bigger and it's a tapestry uh, of believers. Do you think that the online church, whether that's in a Facebook group or let's say somebody builds their own software and does it on their own, I'm not sure where they do it, but let's just say they do it. But that whole online space, do you think that has the potential to be the church? And I'm interested in your act, your your answer because you and your husband lead a physical church as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you just, you know, sit in your PJs every Sunday morning and engage and, <laughs> you know, so you've got, you got a foot in both worlds. I just, cause that is a very active debate. Like, can yeah. that be church or does it lead to in real life interaction? Great, great question. Um, for me, it's not either or it's both. And like, yeah. I, I see, I see online church as an important supplement Uh, to the real life connections that we make with brothers and sisters when we sit down and look eye to eye. Um, I I think that the challenge for many people has been this either or idea. It's like, well, if I I launch an online church, people are going to stop coming to the building. And what I've said is, well, tell me how your attendance statistics are. And what they've said is, 
well, it's declining. And I'm like, and you mean to tell me you don't have an online church. So you're worried about something that's already happening. That's what you're telling me. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think in many, in many instances, we view it as either or. So yeah, I, I think it's both and, and, and frankly, what I have found, and this has been surprising is as we invest in online communities, we actually see an uptick in attendance because mm. people are connecting outside of the building. Uh, and in most instances, if they're not coming to the building and you don't have an online church, they're not connecting at all. So this, uh, wow. I, I, a statistic that I, I read, which has really been what's fueled my passion, is it said that 40% of Americans report attending uh, church uh, services on the weekend, but actual attendance is 20%. What that means is if only 20% are showing up to the building, 80% are not. And so wow. the passion that I have is I want to go after the 80. Like I, I think it's awesome that 20% of the people are showing up, but I really believe that the heart of God is for 100% of the people. And if we are just, if we're okay with only reaching 20%, then something's wrong with that. So uh, I see it as, as really being committed to what God has called us to do. And that's to reach uh, not just our local community and not just the, the neighbors, but also reach the nations uh, with the good news of Jesus. Preach. That's good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think that's kind of where it goes. Okay. I want to talk about Facebook. So one of the things that hit a lot of people and you already uh, hinted on it was in, I think it was January of 2018, because as an online content provider who for years enjoyed the favor of Facebook's algorithm, driving ridiculous amounts of traffic to my site overnight when Mark Zuckerberg announced that algorithm change, which would deprioritize organizations and prioritize social interactions. I watched traffic drop 70 to 80 yeah. percent, literally overnight. Now, yeah. I had another strategy. It's back up. We grew last year. We grew again this year, actually dramatically. But I know that actually killed businesses. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people went into obscurity. And it's like, man, we used to get so many likes on our Facebook page. We used to get so many watches uh, or views, I should say. Can you talk about the impact that that had on organizations? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me let me first acknowledge uh, we knew as a company, we had a lot of internal dialogue about this. Yeah. We knew it was going to hit a lot of people really hard. Uh, and at the same time, we knew that it was something we had to do because we were getting just a lot of a lot of pushback from users. They were like, look, I'm just seeing too much. Uh, content that I really don't want to see. And uh, and so we kind of landed on this happy medium, which was, all right, what we need to do is we need to create an algorithm that would allow people to really see what they wanted to see and that would then kind of change the way that content is presented. And so that's where meaningful social interactions came from, which was, it's not just about posting information. It's about driving conversations. And that's what we felt like was most valuable to our users. So trust me, we had a lot, oh, yeah, yeah. Of, debate, a lot of debate, but we just knew that in order for the platform to really serve the, the mission of building community, that we just had to make that, make that change. Well, and years ago I read, and this is true for churches, it's true for businesses, it was true for me as a blogger and a podcaster, you know, build what you do on land that you own, not yeah. on rented space. And Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the socials, Snapchat, it's all rented space. I mean, literally the algorithms change daily. 
almost. And so something that was really working for you two weeks ago doesn't work anymore. But that said, it's really interesting because I had like in some cases tens of thousands of likes on posts or thousands of likes and lots of interaction and overnight it kind of went away or got greatly reduced. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk to business leaders and not-for-profit leaders who would say, I don't even know how to get traffic online anymore. Now, now what do I do? So can you coach them? Sure. So um, let me first make a distinction um, about what it is that we do as a company. So yeah. there, there's essentially two types of media, all right? And I, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but I'll mention it again. There's broadcast media, which is really about throwing a message out to the wind and hoping it gets received. It's, right. it's unidirectional, right? It's one way. It's me to you. But then there's social media. And social media is exactly that. It's social. So it's it's meant to create conversations. It's meant to drive relationships. It's actually meant to create an experience. Um, what I've kind of coached people on is think about before you, you know, post something, ask yourself the question, what is this going to do in the end? Like, what is the result of this? Is this about driving traffic to my site? Or is this actually about enhancing a person's experience with my product or service? That's mm-hmm. a that's a very different uh, framing for what you share on social media. And I think what I've seen work really well is, number one, having a group strategy as part of your kind of content distribution strategy. Uh, But then two, always approaching what you post with the question, what exactly is the end and how is this going to benefit the user as opposed to just me? Because that's how we're thinking as a company. And I know that's super broad and super high level, but I've just seen that framing help to drive some different decisions. So can you give me an example of what the difference between the two approaches would be? Just let's, Mm -hmm. whether you're selling shoes or, or let's just say, okay, Okay, let's do shoes and then let's do the weekend message. Okay? okay. So you you I run a shoe company, I make shoes, I sell shoes, I want you to buy my shoes. How do I interact with Facebook? So uh, in the past, you may have just had a post that said, hey, I've got these great shoes. Uh, I got the sale going on. You should check out my website. Right. Uh, now, what you might do is a watch party that actually shows how you make the shoes and actually create it actually invites people into the process of making the shoes and it gets them actually engaged in your company as opposed to just watching your post or just passively consuming that content and what it does is it creates uh, an interaction as opposed to just consumption so that's that's the difference okay i'm going to i'm going to do something right now that i never do cuz i try to stay offline uh, when I'm on, but okay, I've got options now on my screen when I go to post. So it says write a post, but then there is photo, get shop visits, poll, add a milestone, start a Q&A, watch party, advertise your business, support nonprofit, write note, check in, get messages. <laughs> and I have to, okay, uh, there, there you go. So those are all the options available to me as a content poster. And I'm in a true confession time, Nona. I almost always just write a post. I get so it. So what Most am I missing? <laughs> Tell us what we're missing. So what you just went through, and, and that's, I'm so glad you actually went through uh, the menu of options and the composer. There are so many ways to create interactions uh, now on posts. You don't just yeah. have to do a text post. You don't just have to do a photo or even a video. So going back to the example I gave earlier about watch party, what a watch party does is it allows people to actually watch 
watch a video together and comment similar to what you see often happen. Like, let's say, you know, I'm not a Game of Thrones like person, but there are people mm-hmm. who love Game of Thrones. And so right. they will watch it and they will comment on their Facebook profiles about what they're seeing. Now Watch Party allows you to watch something together and comment together. And so doing that creates meaningful social interactions, which means that content gets upranked for distribution. So it's again about how do I use these tools to create an experience as opposed to just sharing information? Um, okay, so now let's go through the church because we do have church leaders listening who's like, okay, we do a Facebook Live. We live stream the service. Should they do a watch party instead? Should they do something different? What? So you can, I would say you can do both, but where you could really do some really cool things with watch party is make it again an experience. So let's say it's going All to right. be a, like a, a, an exclusive conversation uh, between, you know, the pastor and a member who experienced something traumatic, right? And so now you're creating an experience where people can actually watch something that's relevant to them. Uh, you've already seen the live stream and it, it was great. It was inspiring, but now there's a watch party to actually actually make the message real to a person. So it's it's using those tools in an innovative way to again create an experience. I think you've you've nailed it and I've I mean we've all known this for years, but most of us at heart who create content were broadcasters. I mean, we grew up in the area of t- era of TV and radio and the idea is that I broadcast my content while you passively listen and perhaps give me a thumbs up if you really mm-hmm. liked it. Mm-hmm. And we're still stuck in that mode. And the reality is life's moved on. Is that what you're that's saying? That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and mm. that's why, and I, I should tell you, so my undergraduate degree, uh, I, I was a telecommunications major. Uh, and so I got my degree, went through the College of Journalism. I totally understand the world of broadcast. I get it. Yeah. But that's also why I say this type of technology is so different. It's not just about me communicating to you. It's also about you communicating to me and then you having the ability to communicate with other people that are communicating with me. It's about social. Yep. No, and and I think we all get that theoretically. I'm not <laughs> sure it's as hardwired. In practice, I get it. Into that. And what I did, if people are wondering, just to save some emails, is when the algorithm changed, it took me about a week, but I'm like, well, I have an email list of, you know, lots of leaders. I think it was 35,000 at the time. I'm just going to start emailing. And that's created a whole other kind of, and that's space I own until Gmail changes mm-hmm. the algorithm. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's certainly more directly owned. And, uh, and it's created a huge interaction in ways I couldn't have possibly expected. But... Back to social and back to Facebook. So, you know, a lot of people would probably, um, maybe I'm the last guy to know, uh, but would say, what, there are 15 buttons you can push when you go to create content? Like, I think that is fairly <laughs> new. And yeah. and again, by the time we air this, it'll change. And by the time whoever listens to this two months down the road listens to it, there'll be another button and the watch party mm-hmm. will be gone, right? So. <laughs> Because that's that's the internet. Welcome to the internet. Constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you stay on top of this stuff? So let me let me first let you in on a little secret. So yeah. most people assume that because I work at Facebook, that I just know everything that's happening at Facebook. Right. Let well, me of course totally you do. That's why you're on the show. I mean, I oftentimes find out things by reading TechCrunch and I'm like, oh, I didn't Ah. know we were doing that. And so then uh, thankfully I can reach out to a colleague and be like, oh, this is so cool that we're doing this. Um, But, you know, a lot of times 
I just, I, I stay up to date uh, through a lot of external publications. Of course, I'm in a lot of meetings as we're ideating and thinking through things. Um, but that's basically what you have to do is just uh, subscribe to some of those resources like like a TechCrunch. Yeah, can you give uh, us a couple of ones that we can link to just so if people are starting at 101, TechCrunch? Sure. Yeah, so there's TechCrunch. Uh, there, so as far as Facebook is concerned, yeah. uh, there's two two that I would recommend. One is, frankly, our newsroom. We have a newsroom. It's like fb.newsroom.com. Yes, yes. So you can go to fb.newsroom.com and you can basically get the latest, greatest, whatever is like hot off the press. We release it there first. Uh, and so that's where most of these organizations get their information. There's also another amazing resource. It's basically called uh, Blueprint. And it's Blueprint by Facebook. Uh, it, it is a course where you can get certified on like all of our different products, all of our different tools. Uh, it's designed for creators. It's designed for business leaders. It's designed for marketers and communicators. But it's the Facebook Blueprint uh, program. And you can get a certification that you went through all of the different modules. Um, and it's just a great, great wealth of knowledge. Uh, and we update that pretty, pretty frequently. Now, I know you work for Facebook specifically, but Facebook also owns Instagram. Mm -hmm. And Instagram seems to be in many circles, uh, high growth. Yeah. Uh, the It's my personal favorite platform, particularly stories. I just love don't, stories. Don't tell anybody, but it's my favorite too. Okay. Okay. We'll cut yeah, that just, part Just out. keep between, <laughs> keep between us. <laughs> um, where, where, same places, what, like, is there an Instagram site? Obviously TechCrunch will cover Instagram, but like- oh, Well, it's integrated. It's integrated. So because Instagram is a subsidiary of Facebook, like we, we integrate everything. So like, I think oh, even in the so Blueprint program- you can find program, everything about Instagram there yeah, as well? Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's all integrated. Well, you know, it's funny because I-, I And I WhatsApp work, and Messenger, all of it. I work really hard to stay on top of tech stuff. <laughs> and, you know, every year I get older, but I feel like it was easier five years ago than it is now. Ah, oh, yes. There is that me? Uh, is that no, just me? The, the, the frequency and velocity of change just across the tech sector uh, is, is immense and incredible. Yeah. And so yeah. that's why I always like to set the expectation. Like, even when I speak, I always tell people, listen, you're probably going to ask me a question that is going to blow my mind because I didn't even know we were doing that. But I will right. get back to you. <laughs> with as much information as I can. <laughs> oh, that's fair. I I think that's that's well said. Frequency and velocity. Yep, yeah. it is. It is, and I, I do my best to stay on top of it. But yeah, it is changing regularly. And you just need smart people around you. Okay, mm -hmm. you do work at Facebook. Um, what are some leadership principles you've learned at Facebook that would surprise leaders? That mm. that would be like, hmm. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, you didn't expect to learn that or it's not widely known that, because uh, I mean, you've got some brilliant leaders there, not only Mark Zuckerberg, but Sheryl Sandberg and so on and so forth. So what surprised you? Yeah, great question. Um, I, I will say, first, let me say this, uh, working with, uh, I work with Cheryl, uh, I've worked with her quite a bit and yeah. As a person, it's funny because people look at her and they see this, you know, really successful person, and she's highly influential. Um, the thing that I most admire about her, also though, is she has a a way of being grateful even in challenging times. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, many people may not know this, or some may know this, but a few years ago, her husband uh, passed away very suddenly, and uh, she went through a really, really dark. 
as you can imagine, just dark time in her life. And uh, something she said has always stuck with me. And that is that she was going through a lot of, a lot of uh, just grief and pain. And she was like, you know, God, you know, why did this happen? And what does this mean? And she said, it wasn't until she realized that it could have been worse that she actually began to like come up for air. And by that, I mean, she said, what if, you know, the issue that happened happened with her kids in the car where he had his heart episode and there was an accident and they all died. And she was like, having that as the reality that it could have been worse helps her to be grateful. And so I I start there because I think one of the leadership principles that I've had to learn as I've navigated a lot of the challenges we've had as a company is as difficult as things are and as crazy as things can get, uh, it can always be worse. And Hmm. so you have (laughs) to be, you have to be grateful for the challenge because the challenge is not as bad as it could be. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's okay. a good leadership principle, actually. Yeah, so that's yeah. something that I've definitely learned. Uh, and uh, I think that's yeah. that's probably the one thing that's pretty surprising. <laughs> that is surprising. So one of the very well-known mantras of Facebook, and, and I know it's been revised in the last couple of years, or my understanding it is, is that it has been, is move fast and break things. So <laughs> yeah, that might've been yeah. slightly before your time. Yeah. But do you want yeah. to talk about that culture? And I'm sure. really interested... Well, let's just start there. Move fast and break yeah, things. Yeah, so so I'll start. So that yeah, that's the that's the old one. I'll give the new iteration in a minute. But the old one was really about being willing to take chances. You know, um, I think especially in the context of ministry, we tend to be incredibly risk averse. Like we, yes. part of the reason why I think the the church, the big C church, tends to be uh, lagging behind a lot of advancements is because we wait for somebody to try it first. And then we're like, okay, well, if it worked for them, then maybe we'll try it. So I think as a company, our philosophy was at that time is like, look, just try it. Just throw it out there, see what happens. If it doesn't work, at least we will have learned what didn't work. And then we can either try it again and make it better. Now, um, our philosophy is move fast and build things. Um, Hmm. So (laughs) instead instead of being like, totally just like risk unaware. We are very aware of the risk because we are such a, an influential uh, company and because we have such a responsibility to society. So we're thinking, all right, it's not enough to just test something that might be cool. The question we have to ask ourselves now is, all right, if we do this, will it adversely affect people? And if right. it adversely affects people, then it's not building. It's actually breaking. So that's mm. that's probably where I would say the the best intention and the best philosophy of our company is sitting right now is where we're being super intentional about making sure that whatever we do is building towards something. Did some and and you may or may not know the answer to this question, but I'd love to ask it anyway. Did some of the rethinking around the break things part, move fast and break things, uh, come from the fact that Facebook had gotten so big? I remember a story, I think it's accurate, where, you know, engineers were, because you think of Facebook and I mean, Zuckerberg, it's been years since he's, since Zuck has written code. I mean, you've got hundreds, thousands of engineers working on Facebook at any time. There are multiple iterations of Facebook. So Facebook on my phone might look different than Facebook on your phone because I've got version, you know, (laughs) 72.13896211 and you've got 622 on your phone and it's, you know, the blue is a little bit different in in the like button or something. I don't know. I mean, you're always A-B split testing. And is that still the case where there are multiple versions? 
Well, we're always testing. Like we're we're yeah. we're in a constant. Another thing that we say internally is we're in a constant state of beta. Like we're always right. testing. Um, and so uh, for for me, I have, and this is where it gets a little bit different. Is I have like the employee versions uh, of our apps, and so right. uh, I, I, we're we're tested on even more. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet you so are. I, it's funny because sometimes. Sometimes I'll uh, I'll say I'll say to somebody I'll say hey we'll just click on this thing here and they're like I don't have that what is that and I'm like oh it's not released okay never I'm sorry never mind. yeah um so we're we're in a constant state of beta um but uh, but yeah I think we're always trying to to test and build and make the best product possible well my understanding is under the old system is that like I think this is a true story I've heard it several times. There was an engineer who was given that ability to experiment, like literally crash Facebook, like all of Facebook and hundreds of millions of users offline. And it's like, whoa, 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 we can't move that fast. We can't keep breaking things. <laughs> you know, when you have a couple of college campuses or you've got a small user base, you can break that much. But has part of the, the success and responsibility been behind that in this idea of building or, or do you know the philosophy behind the shift? So I know the the shift did change uh, right before I got there, but I do know that it was basically anchored in uh, our recognition of the responsibility that we have. Uh, and I think, again, as the platform continues to grow, um, I know that at the highest levels of the organization, the conversation is always, all right, let's make sure that we're living up to what's expected of us. And that I think some people, they, they it's, we realize mistakes are made, mistakes have been made, and mistakes will be made. Um, but because we're committed to doing the right thing, um, our goal is always to restore anything that was broken. And so that's really what's driven the idea of building as opposed to breaking. Hmm. If you were advising churches and you sort of do in your role, <laughs> what would you advise them to move faster on? And what would you encourage them you know, as far as the break things part or build things part, what what do you see? Because you do visit literally, mm -hmm. you know, probably hundreds of churches and you talk to thousands of church leaders in the course of your work. So you're like, hey, church, let me preach. What, do you, what are you going to say? <laughs> um, I would say a couple of things. The first is don't get so fixated with building your following that you forget that you're actually trying to build the kingdom. Uh, I think that many of the conversations I've had have all been rooted in, how do I get a bigger platform? How do I get more people following me? And the thing that I've said is, well, one, you have to re remember that we're just conduits. You know, we're conduits of the gospel. And so I would ask churches who are considering how they could potentially uh, integrate this approach into their ministry is first start there. Just remember, you're not building your following, you're building Jesus's following. Secondly, um, I would definitely recommend that digital be prioritized, online be prioritized, because that is not the next iteration of ministry, that's the now iteration of ministry. And if you're yeah. not there, you're already behind. Um, and, and, and I will say this, the, the definition of online church uh, to date has really been streaming a service. Uh, that is not church. That's a program. Okay. Hmm. The church is the body of people. And so if you really want to have online church, it's about building the body of people in that community. So I would hope that it would be prioritized as part of ministry. What would you say to the church? And we have mega churches listening, some of whom you named, we know that, but uh, the vast majority, 
uh, are small churches, 200 people or less, one or two staff, and small business leaders who, you know, sub 1 million, don't have a big staff. That's 96% of all businesses in the United States. Uh, So for those who say, I would love to hire a social media person, thank you so much. I'm 45, I can barely work my phone. Um, Not throwing (laughs) 45-year-olds under the bus, but you know what I'm talking about. It's like, how do I install this app? Right. what would you say to them? Like, how do they, are they, are they just left behind or what have you seen in terms of best practices? Yeah, great question. Um, I think when you don't necessarily have the staff infrastructure, I think that's when you start to look to the plurality of lay leadership that you have. So there are people uh, within your congregation who are on Facebook pretty constantly. (laughs) And you might want to reach out to them and say, hey, we're thinking about leveraging this platform now for online ministry. Is that something you'd be willing to lead? Now, let me clarify one important thing. Uh, when you start to get into online ministry, it's not just about a social media coordinator. So there, right. are, there are some different camps. Like th- the way that I've said it is, if you wouldn't appoint that person to launch a new physical location, or if you wouldn't be comfortable with that person leading a Bible study or a ministry in your church, they're probably not the best person to lead your Facebook campus because it's not just about content. It really is about conversation. And what I have found is I work with some really amazing social media strategists. Uh, Their thinking and their paradigm tends to be very much so around uh, content. And so you're going to be dealing with people who are going to uh, have crises and they're going to share them in the community. You have to have a team that's able to deal with that. So that's why I always like to frame it, not just as your Facebook group, but it's your Facebook church campus. And you Hmm. need to have a, a campus pastor, someone who can actually lead and shepherd that community. And it may not be a staff person. It may be just a lay leader uh, who has a heart for people and also knows how to use the, the tools. So let me test this out with you to see if this is accurate. Am am I right in hearing you say it's better to have someone who would be a great small group leader or group leader who can find their way around a phone or a computer Mm -hmm. rather than the tech whiz who has no people skills? Absolutely. That's exactly right. Is is the person who really has a heart for people because you're creating an online church. You're not just creating another page. No, nah, that's, that's really good to know too. Um, what are some mistakes? We've talked about a few already, but what are some mistakes that you continue to see churches make on with social, with Facebook, with Insta? Uh, well, I, I think one of the biggest mistakes, again, gets back to what I said in the previous question, is the goal. Goals tend to be, uh, and, and what I have found is that results tend to rise to the level of your goal. And so if your goal is to build your following, then that's all you're going to do. And you'll have a bunch of people following your page or a bunch of people who will join your group, but they're not getting anything meaningful from that. Uh, and so it's it's really about planning. Um, I actually wrote, and I'll provide it to you, I wrote a resource. It's called Facebook for Churches. I wrote it because I was seeing a lot of churches who were like, oh, we want to do this like digital church thing. <laughs> but they weren't planning for it. They were just like, let's just do it. And so the, the thing that I've always said to them is, listen, would you launch a new satellite location without telling anybody, without staffing any leadership, without having any programs planned? Would you just 
go and invest it. And they were like, well, no. And I said, well, that's the exact same approach you need to take with your Facebook campus. You want to make sure that you have a plan. So you want to plan at least, you know, 60 days out, get your leadership team bought in, get a leadership team in place for the Facebook community, um, and then raise awareness about it. Uh, the way that you grow your Facebook campus is the exact same way you grow your physical location. You tell people, but if you don't have a plan in place, it'll just happen. And you'll be like, well, nobody's here and nothing's happening. That's why. So that's very gracious of you. The the resource is called? It's called uh, Facebook for Churches. Yep. I will share it with you. And it's a free resource. Um, Next year, I think in October, but I'm not going to make you wait that long. Next year, (laughs) I'm actually releasing uh, a book with uh, Zondervan. Uh, It's called From Social Media to Social Ministry, and it will capture uh, a lot of what I'm sharing with you as well as a whole bunch more. Um, But I'll give you this free resource because I want people to have access to it now. That's amazing. We will link to that in the show notes, just so listeners know. Thank you. That's very generous of you, Nona. Um, Okay, so we talked about best practices. We talked about some mistakes churches are making. When you look three to four years into the future, what do you see as possible? Or what is your, your vision even beyond the immediate future? Man, three to four years in the future, I see churches in the space, first of all, uh, I see churches fully utilizing Facebook for discipleship, which means it's a whole different model than we're using it for now. Now we're just using it for marketing. Uh, I'm, I'm really seeing us using it for ministry. Uh, three to four years hmm. from now, I would love to see more churches in the virtual reality space. Um, we have Oculus, which is our, um, yeah. our AR, VR uh, company um, that's really building the tools to help people connect in uh, virtual reality. And so uh, I have a a good friend, uh, shout out to Pastor DJ Soto, who leads VR Mm -hmm. Church. Um, It's an amazing organization. They do church fully in virtual reality. Uh, And what's, what's a blessing about this, Carrie, is like in virtual reality, they're ministering to people who are atheist, people who are agnostic, people who are hostile to faith, people who would never show up to church ever but they're finding they're finding Christ they're finding God in virtual reality. So I see us as a body, the Big C Church, maximizing all of these platforms in order to reach people where they are. And again, that's getting back to the Jesus model of ministry. Hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah, I've got, I've got to explore more AR and VR and and see where all that is going because uh yeah, it's not the future, it's also here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's how, is right. That, how is that different from if you remember this, and you may or may not? Life Church did uh, a Second Life campus back in the day. Mm-hmm. How is virtual reality emerging and different from what we've seen in the past? So the the interesting thing about VR is it's it's basically fully immersive. So yeah. it's it's not just about you know, like, uh, like, a, like a game. It's literally your hearing, uh, your feeling, your orientation. You are a different person uh, in virtual reality. You're able to connect with people, talk with people who are all over the world uh, through VR. And so it's a very different experience. Um, and you're, you're basically in a space where people already are. So they don't necessarily have to opt in to you. Uh, mm. you're, you're going where they are. So someone right. could be in, in VR doing whatever, and you're just able to walk over, hey, friend, <laughs> how's it going? Um, so that's, I think that's the nuance there is um, you're immersed completely uh, in this uh, reality. Wow. 
Well, that's going to be uh, fascinating. And, and uh, I wrote a piece recently that <laughs> where it's like theologians need to catch up to technology. Yeah. And so do yeah. ethicists. Like we're just, we are so far behind. In yeah. some cases, decades, a century behind in our thinking. And, uh, and that's too bad. Any other aspects of Facebook or Instagram that are, are sort of not as well known that leaders should be paying attention to? Yeah. So the the one other piece that I will share, uh, and this is kind of getting out of the community side, but it's definitely into the efficiency side, is the use of uh, bots, messenger bots. Yeah. So um, a, a lot of churches haven't been using these, but they're really great because you can actually build them or have them built for you, have them be built for you, where let's say you go live on your page, a messenger bot will actually send a message to people who follow your page to say, hey, so-and-so church just went live, tune in. Um, or it'll be an automatic, hey, we're so glad that you stopped by our page. How can we help you? Um, so it's it's just a great way to create more operational efficiency. And um, I've, I've been recommending them pretty heavily to the churches I've been working with. And um, bots aren't entirely automated. Is that correct? I have some on my mm-hmm. site, uh, particularly uh, in the course area, where sometimes the initial two or three messages will be back and forth with AI Mm -hmm. through the Mm -hmm. bots and then a real person takes over. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, It's just, it's designed to kind of be more efficient uh, because sometimes there are questions that'll stop at the first question. They got the information they needed and you don't necessarily have to take your time, but then there are other times where it's like, you actually need to talk to a person. So yeah, it'll triage. Right. And, and it sort of avoids that online feeling we get when you call someplace and you get the, if you want, you know, yes. so-and-so yeah. press one, then press three, <laughs> then enter your password, then do this, then Let do that. Let me tell you, I always press zero. I, I like immediately, I as soon as I hear the, hi, thank you for calling zero. Like I don't even, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes that doesn't work anymore, which is sad. I know. Okay. They're like zero, zero doesn't take you anywhere. I'm like, what do you mean? Uh, I got to ask you this. This wasn't in the questions, but I mean, I've followed you on Facebook for a while. You talked about the number one request you get when you meet people in real life is like, how do I get more followers? How do I get more followers? Yeah. I would love for you to speak in to all the leaders who are listening about the difference between your personal profile and your organizational profile. Because I've got a blog post that I'm going to write. It'll probably be out by the time this airs. Just about pastors in particular, leaders in the age of social media. Mm -hmm. That sometimes I would just love to see what you would say about that and what some of the warning signs or the cringe factor might be in some of that because we're in really interesting territory before before i even get into that i'd love to hear just a synopsis of what you're sharing if you're willing to share like i just want to hear okay once again i'm going to break my rules and (laughs) let me just go into evernote without killing this and i will find (laughs) it and see i don't know it's just it's more of a soul thing so okay i'll take you up on your challenge here we go uh, social media pastors, see if I can find it in Evernote. Maybe I started composing in, but you know, it was, it was sort of that concern about your personal platform as opposed mm-hmm. to the organizational platform and that whole idea of trying to get followers. Yeah. Um, I often think by just writing notes, um, I'm just going to pull that up for a minute and see if it's actually, whoops, wrong button. Pastors in the age of social media. Uh, oh, here it is. Dun, dun, here it is. Dun, 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 dun. Let's see. Maybe these are terrible thoughts. That's what happens with drafts, right? <laughs> no. Oh, no, it's got a picture. It has to be good. Oh, yeah. 
Here we go. You're tempted to ignore your congregation in search of a bigger audience. Mm. I think that's a temptation. Uh, you spend more time with the people you don't know than with people you do know. Wow. Um, <laughs> you're trying to impress people you'll never meet. You'll focus more on optics and less on substance. Uh, your sense of success rises and falls with likes and shares. Mm-mm-mm. That's a soul post. I may totally change my mind <sighs> by the time this goes public, but that's where my head is on that stuff, Nona. I'd love to know. And it's called right now. It hasn't been published. Five challenges with being a local pastor. Or I'm thinking leader because I think you yeah. could be a shop owner. You could be yeah. whatever in the age of social media. So those are some of the concerns I see. So the reason why I wanted to hear what, what you were, yeah, what yeah. your frame was is because this is something that's such a deep passion of mine. Hmm. Um, so I'm actually, it's funny, uh, I April 1st, my manuscript is due for oh, wow. uh, the book, the book I'm writing. And it's really about uh, success from the inside out. And it's really yes. about starting, starting with starting with the parts of you that are insecure, the parts of you that feel inadequate, and the parts of you that that are broken. Because if you don't start there, you're going to look to all these external indicators of whether mm. or not you actually have value. Wow. And I I personally um, suffered through some of that, mostly because I had experienced a lot of trauma as a child that wasn't resolved. Thank God it has been, but it wasn't. And uh, what I have found is that with the advent of social media, social media has a way. If you haven't uh, if you haven't become whole, and if you haven't become secure in yourself. It has a way of sometimes feeding the the worst parts of us, which yeah. is those insecurities, those feelings of inadequacy. Um, one of the things I didn't say earlier is when I first got into my role, most of the people that I talked to, the first the first thing they would ask me is, "How did you get that job?" And I answered it. <laughs> the second question, the very next question was, "Can you get me verified?" <laughs> and and that I, is a good question. It is a good question, <laughs> but I I wondered because I didn't know what verification was. Like I, yeah. as soon as I got to Facebook, I got verified because of my public figure status with, with Facebook. But I didn't really know what the big deal was. And what I started to find out is that there were people who wanted to be verified not because of the intent of verification, which really is about uh, issues with impersonation and yeah. you know trying to make sure people know your profile is authentic. But it was because it was like a like a like a validation. It's like, that is, I got the blue check. And so, um, to your point, I think you have to be careful as a, as a leader is one, it's not about building your following. First of all, if in fact Mm. we are talking about, you know, pursuing the, the, the work of Christ, it's not about building your following, but two, know that you are enough. Like you are enough. If you never get another follower, if you never cross that 10,000 follower threshold on Instagram that everybody's like vying for, like it's okay. It's okay because God has called you and he's assigned you. And if you lead a a group of 10 members, whether you lead 10 people or 20,000 people, God has given you a unique assignment and he's counting on you to fulfill that assignment. Uh, And I, I think that sometimes to your point, we can get so wrapped up in this idea of building our platform and yeah. building our brand that we lose sight of the fact that we're building God's kingdom. And that's the thing that I, every day, like I pray every single morning, I'm up at mm. 6 a.m. for prayer and devotional. And I always say, I say, God, I don't care how many opportunities you give me. I don't care how big my platform gets. Help me to always stay rooted and grounded in your calling, in your will, in your ministry, because none of this is mine. And I think if we, if we keep that, 
in the forefront of our eyes, then we won't have those challenges. Um, it really is about what has God called you to, as opposed to uh, building your name and building your platform. And that's a challenge oh. in this in this generation, I know. No, it is. It's really hard. And I think the younger you are, the harder it is. Yeah. Because, you know, I spent most of my time, I mean, social's only for most of us, a decade old. I know Facebook yeah. is 15, but reality <laughs> for the point where it was more than you and eight people, it's about a decade old. Yeah. I yeah. still remember when they called it web 2.0, right? Yeah. All that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I did, I did over half of my leadership to date in the pre-social media era. And so you're kind of used to nobody knowing you. You're kind of used to not being able to do this from the basement of your house. I mean, you're used to those days and, and things are different now, but I wonder what it's like to be 21 and in this world or 28 and in this world when this is kind of all you ever knew. And I think it creates great social questions, ethical questions, spiritual questions that uh, we're not, I don't know that we're really ready to solve them. So this has been, this has been so, so rich. So, Oh man. Okay. People are going to want to know more about you and we will link to everything in the show notes. Can you, you tell us where to find you and also on the socials as well. And by the way, for the record, I'm only verified on one out of three platforms. So not Facebook, only Insta. And I had a friend help get me verified. I'm so. the I'm the reverse. I'm verified on Facebook, but not on Insta yet. So we'll see. <laughs> really? And yet you I'm would have reverse. an in for that. There you go. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Everyone thinks so, we're more connected than we are. I right? know. Everybody does. Um, no, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, people can reach me. My website is just uh, nonajones.com. Uh, and I would love for people to join my email news list because I will be releasing more information about my book there. And so I'm really excited to, to connect with people. And Instagram is actually the best platform to connect with me on. Uh, yeah, my handle is... There. Yeah, it's at Nona Not Nora. That's my platform. That's my handle. Uh, it's the same for Facebook, Nona Not Nora. But I will tell you, my Facebook is a mess. Like I have so many messages in Messenger. I have it's a mess. So Instagram is the way to connect. But uh, yeah, yeah I'm I so, walked so away thankful. from Messenger a while ago too. It's just like I can't keep up, and then you have all the message requests, and it's oh, like, oh yeah, I don't even know what to do there. <laughs> like I'm so, so sorry, guys. Yeah. All right. Nona, this is awesome. Uh, we're looking forward to hanging out at Rethink Leadership as well Definitely. in Atlanta. That'll be, that'll be great. So honored to have you there this year. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Man, she's articulate, is she not? And there was a lot of insight in that episode. If you want to drill down, head over to the show notes. You'll find it at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 262. Also just Google Nona. N-O-N-A Jones in my name, and you'll find it there too. Uh, we've also got transcripts for those of you who prefer to read or want to do some team study with that. Those are downloadable, all free to you. And that's thanks to partners like Trained Up. If you haven't checked them out lately, they are so much bigger than the last time you probably went to their website and they have so many more features. Plus, they've dropped their prices. The first 14 days is free. So head on over to servehq.church where you can learn more. And also head on over to promediafire.com forward slash carry, get 10% off for life and get your social media working for you, not against you. And finally, if you haven't checked out the free resource I uploaded to churchgrowthmasterclass.com, uh, do that now because it's going to disappear real soon, but we got some really exciting things happening over there. So that's churchgrowthmasterclass.com. Hey, we're back next week with a fresh episode. I've been waiting for this one for a long, long, long time. 
The founder of the Ritz-Carlton, Horst Schultze, is my guest. You are going to get schooled on customer service. I loved this interview, and he is just a fun guy. So here's an excerpt. The first thing I would have done, I would have sat down and cried. <sighs> I would have cried for a while. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like not on my not at my hotel, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So and and the next thing I would have called you personally and really? said, please forgive me. And gentlemen said, please forgive me. I'm embarrassed. Obviously, you don't talk pay for your breakfast. And 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 um, in fact, I tell you what, in order to show you that we're not that bad. Next time you come here, compliment your media room. I wouldn't have given wow. you the money back for the room. Yeah, but yeah. I want to bring it back to show you that we're not that bad. So you don't Smart. go around and talk negative. And next next time come back, I want I I want you to be my guest next time you come back. So please, please forgive me. Here's my name. Call, call me personally for the reservation. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Oh my goodness. See, that's brilliant. But but in that moment I got you. I got you. Yeah, you do. Subscribers, you get that all for free and you can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever. It's all free. And uh, I only listen to the podcasts I subscribe to. So if you just happen to stumble into this episode, you liked it, you enjoyed it, you're ready for next week, subscribe for free. And for all of you who continue to share on social, on Twitter, on the Instagrams, on Facebook, thank you. Take a screenshot, share the link. Tell your friends and thanks for helping this podcast grow every single month. We are past 8 million downloads, heading for 10. We're going to celebrate along the way and just want to thank you guys so much for everything. So in the meantime, what a good time together this week. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.